Last week, somebody said, I, every time I hear that video, it's like I want to, I just want to jump up and dance. They must not be here today because I didn't see anybody doing that. That would have been great, though. I'd have loved that. <laughs> it's good to see you all this morning. Those of you joining us online, welcome. My name is Steve Cunningham. I'm the lead pastor here at Wellhouse. We've been going through this message series over the last couple of uh, over the last couple of weeks now, uh, titled "Family Circus." And uh, if you're a part of a family, whether you are maybe a dad, uh, a mom, child, whatever it is, your cousin somehow, then uh, I'm. I think it's pretty safe to assume that sometimes uh, families can feel like a bit of a circus. And uh, so we've been pulling back a little bit and taking a really, you know, 30,000 foot view of, of what it means to interact in a family and, and really how do we navigate this thing called life in the context of a family. The first week we talked about this idea of legacy and I asked the question that I think hopefully you've wrestled with a little bit. The question is what legacy do you want to leave? You're in the process of leaving a legacy right now, which should scare you just a little bit, right? It should intimidate you just a little bit that every day you're building a legacy that you're leaving behind. And I can assure you, if you're doing it unintentionally, it's probably not the legacy that you want to leave, right? And so the question is, what legacy do you want to leave, Last week, we talked about the idea of priorities, and so many times, our priorities can kind of slightly get off kilter, and then all of a sudden, we find ourselves, we talked about last week, walking in circles. In fact, I mentioned that it's impossible, it's impossible to keep your priorities straight while walking in circles. And too often times we find ourselves walking in the same circles, right? We keep repeating the things that we say, I'm never going to do this again. God, if you help me out of this situation, you've been there before? God, if you, if you just, I promise I will never ever do that again. And then all of a sudden, three weeks later, or if you're like me, you know, three hours later, you find yourself right back in the same, I'm just being honest with you, all right? You find yourself right back in the same place again. It's hard, listen, it's hard, it's not just hard, it's impossible to keep your priorities straight when you continue to walk in circles. And so last week I challenged you to sit down and figure out what is the biggest priority in your life. And I hope that you wrestled with that a little bit this week. How many of you grew up going to church? few people grew up going to church. How many of you, not so much, maybe a little bit? I grew up, I was lucky enough, I grew up going to church. Neither one of my parents had gone to church really much before I was born, uh, but they were kind of talked into it by my grandfather. Uh, I think I mentioned this before, who was really hoping to date a lady who was going to church. He thought, <laughs> it's a true story, he thought it would be impressive to her if he could bring along his family. So he drug my parents along. My mom was pregnant with me and uh, they stuck. He didn't, they didn't, the date didn't ever wind up happening. Um, that's, that's our story of church. I mean, that's how it happened, okay? Some people have glories. You know, my grandfather was a preacher. My father was a preacher. That was not my story. 
didn't have necessarily this long legacy of faith, but I, growing up in church, I remember seeing people who, who man, their faith was incredible. I mean, they will walk through all kinds of life fires, and it seemed like it just didn't phase them. There was this lady, her name was Wilda Bryan, and at the age of 28 years old, Wilda Bryan uh, wound up contracting this disease. It took over her entire body to the point where she was wheelchair-bound. She couldn't feed herself. She couldn't dress herself. And she was raising, I think it was four kids. Yeah. The amazing thing about Wilda Bryan is this is that I never one time saw her without a smile on her face. Never once. I was privileged enough to actually uh, be able to minister to her and her family towards the end of her life. The last several months of her life, I would show up almost every day at her house. We would pray together. She would talk from her bed. And she would tell me, listen, see, God has blessed me all my life at 80 some years old. Most of it confined to a wheelchair. Most of it relying on other people to dress her and feed her and take care of her. And she said, Steve, God has blessed me my entire life. And I would walk away from those things thinking, man, I stink. You know, like I'm terrible. I I have so many more blessings in my life that I take for granted, but here she is dying in a bed most of her life, not being able to take care of her most basic needs, and yet she has this incredible faith. How do I do that? I want what she has, but I don't know how to get there. Have you been around kind of those spiritual faith giants before that you're like, I don't, I don't know what they have, but I, I want it. Have you been there? Have you been around those people before? Today, I want to tell you a story. It's one of, one of my favorite stories in the whole Bible, and it's about faith. So if you're struggling in faith, if, you, if you're thinking like, I don't know, I don't know where my faith is, this, this message today is really for you. To kind of preface, if you want to go ahead and open up uh, to Acts chapter 12, or you can scroll open to Acts chapter 12, I'm going to preface a little bit of what's happening right before Acts chapter 12. The church is it's in its early stages. It's, it's growing, but man, it's experiencing a lot of issues. Stephen, who is the first Christian martyr, has been killed. Traditions in the church are changing rapidly from, from the things that they used to once held to, these, these Jewish laws of circumcision and understanding clean and unclean things. Things are changing. And of course, anytime you change something to church, you all already know that it's, it's, it's like moving mountains, right? And yet, the church continues to grow. This is where we pick up in Acts chapter 12, starting at verse 1. It says this. It was about that time. It was the time where church is facing all this opposition and yet continuing to grow that King Herod arrested some who belonged to the church, intending, underline that word, to persecute him. The intentions were, I'm going to cause you harm. Ever been in a situation where you felt like somebody was intending to cause pain, to cause damage, to cause hurt? You've been there before? Oh, come on, church. This isn't a spectator sport. You been there? He had James. This is, this is his intention, right? 
he had James, the brother of John, one of the 12, put to death by the sword. This is big stuff. He's, he's not just saying, I'm going to slap you with a fine. He's not saying, like, I'm just going to put out you know, harsh things about your church. He's, he's actually confining and then killing some of the leaders of the church. And when he saw that this met with approval among the Jews, he proceeded to seize Peter also. Remember, this is Peter. This, this is on this rock. I will build my church. This is Peter who steps out of the boat and tries to walk towards Jesus. This is, this is Peter who says, God, I'm, I'm never going to deny you. And then all of a sudden he stands by the fire and he denies him. This is Peter who Jesus says, listen, all that stuff is behind me, but do you love me? And feed my sheep. This is Peter. And Peter is seized by Herod and he knows what happened to James. And he seizes him and this happened during the festival of unleavened bread. And after arresting him, he put him in prison, handing him over to be guarded by four squads of four soldiers each. And Herod attended to bring him out for a public trial after the Passover. There was intention for harm. And James is now dead. And Peter is now in prison. And things are looking really bleak. And things, it seems like as, as things were gaining that momentum, as things were, were finally starting to work out for the early church, man, it just was blow after blow after blow. And I don't know about you, but I can relate to that. And there have been times in my life where it's like, all right, things are finally, uh, things are finally starting to look up. And all of a sudden, the, raw, you know, the rug is pulled out. And you're left on the floor and you're like, man, what? What happened next? And you kind of look around, you're like, oh, we're not done yet. Oh, it ain't over yet. And the blows just keep coming And here's what I want to tell you that is true about life. It may not feel very reassuring, but I can assure you that Satan still has a mission to kill, steal, and destroy any hope that you have. And the reason why I mention this again is because sometimes we feel so under attack and it's like, what is happening What's going on? Why, why are we going through this? I look at the world around. It's like, why are we going through this? And then I remember that Satan still has a mission to kill, still and destroy the hope that we have. And here in this verse, that's exactly what's happening, but it's not done yet. Luke continues on, and he says this in verse 5. So Peter was kept in prison, but the church was earnestly, underline that word, earnestly praying to God for him. Have you ever been in a time in your life where it was like you were just as earnestly praying about something as you could possibly be? 
I feel like sometimes in those desperate moments, you know, where maybe somebody's kind of clinging to life or you feel like you're clinging to something, right? It's like you've never prayed like that before. And this is where the early church is. They, they've already lost James. They're under persecution. And now they have Peter, who's Peter's really the spokesperson for the church. And now he's in jail and almost certainly awaiting his death. And so the church gathers together and they're up all night long and they're just praying. And I don't know what they were praying about, but my guess is that they're praying for the life of Peter. That they're praying, God, listen, protect him. Protect him however you can. The night before Herod was to bring him to trial, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains, and two sentries stood guard at the entrance. This sentence is really interesting because it's not at all what you would think. Now, I don't know about you, but in times in my life where it's like, it's, it's drama, it's chaos, it's confusion, it's uncertainty, it's mixed with all kinds of doubt and, and concern, I can tell you what I'm not doing really well that night. I'll, I'm not sleeping real well, right? And my guess is the same for you. Right? When, when life is chaotic and crazy, it's sometimes really hard to sleep. But here we find Peter, and it doesn't say, listen, the all night long, what he was doing was he was praising God. We, we see that before, but that's not what's happening this time. All night long, he was worrying about what was to happen the next day, although that's not what's happening here either. We have this picture of Peter and he's chained up and there are squads of people around him. In fact, it says that he was paired between two guards and he's sound asleep. And then I was thinking about that this week and I thought, you know, I don't know this is true, but there's something that tells me that Peter, before he fell asleep that night, was thinking about somebody else who was a giant in faith for him one night on a boat. And the waves and the wind, they were crashing all around. And even the bravest of all brave fishermen were like, it's over, we're gonna die. And then they were screaming out, Jesus, where are you? We're all about to drown here. And then they went and they found him and he was, you remember? He was sleeping. And he, he woke up, and they were like, hey, 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 just so you know, we're all going to die here. Do you remember what he said? Give it to me. What did he tell him? Oh, you of, there you go. Oh, you a little faith. See, sometimes even a little bit of faith just a little bit gives you a peace when you go through a storm. Man, there were tons of things to fear on the boat that night. Wind and waves and drowning. There were tons of things for Peter to worry about that night in the cell, like how exactly am I gonna die and what is that gonna look like and what happens to the church next and is this whole thing gonna explode and if this is all on my shoulders, what's gonna happen now? 
But you see, in Christ, I can fear not, even when there are things to be afraid of. See, I, I don't think Jesus' statement of fear not is an invalid thing. I don't think he would command us to fear not if, if we couldn't do it. Oh, I think there's tons of things to be afraid of. I live with a lady who's afraid of a lot of them, right? I say that in love. <laughs> there's tons of things in life to be afraid of. But in Christ, when we have faith, even small amounts of faith, we can fear not even when there's things to be afraid of. I keep reading on in this story. It says this, suddenly an angel of the Lord appeared and a light shone in the cell and he struck Peter on the side to wake him up. He must have been sleeping really, really sound. And he says, get up. And the chains fell off Peter's wrist. And then the angel said to him, put on your clothes and sandals. And Peter did so. And wrap your cloak around you and follow me. The angel told him. And Peter followed him out of the prison. Listen to this. But he had no idea that the angel was, uh, what the angel was doing was really happening. He thought he was seeing a vision. It wasn't clear to him. Right? It wasn't registered. He's like, I, this could be a dream. I'm not sure this is really happening. I'm not sure I really buy into this. And yet, Peter is obedient. It says they passed through the first and the second guards. Can you imagine? What that felt like? Can you imagine the fear that Peter might have felt, right? As he's walking through guard after guard after guard. And you're like, all right, if they wake up, if I wake up, I mean, am I dreaming? Am I sleeping? What's happening here? And came to the iron gate leading to the city. It was open to them by itself, and they went through it. And when they had walked the length of one street, suddenly the angel left him. And then Peter came to himself and said, now this is huge. This is huge. Now I know without a doubt. Now I know without a doubt. And sometimes it's not till after it's all over. Right? Where you're like, oh, I see the way that God did that. But through it, you're like, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what's happening. I don't know what's, what the next thing is going to be, right? But then afterwards, you're like, oh, man. Did you see the way God orchestrated that? I would have never guessed. I would, there the whole time, I thought, man, this was over. Now I know without a doubt that the Lord has sent his angels to rescue me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were hoping would happen. For Peter, it's this conclusion of, all right, listen, God truly is with me. But the whole time, it was a series of questions and doubts. See, when you don't see what God is doing in the moment, and let's face it, 
Most of the time we don't. Most of the time we're like, all right, God, where are you in this mess? Where, where are you in the chaos? Where are you in the confusion? Where are you in the hurt? Just keep walking in obedience. See, God rewards the long obedience. When his children take that little bit of faith, listen, I, I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. I don't know what my next step is, but God, I'm going to trust you in that. And God is faithful. The story continues on here in Acts chapter 12, verse 12, says this. When this had dawned on him, this idea, man, this is God all along. God's been providing all along. He went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where the people had been gathered and were praying. Remember all those church people praying all night for Peter while he was in there sleeping? I imagine when they finally had that talk, they were like, man, Peter, you must have been in there worshiping, praising God, praying all night long. And he's like, yeah, about that. <laughs> Peter knocked at the outer entrance and a servant named Rhoda came and answered the door. And when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed that she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. I'm, I can relate to this. My children do this all the time, right? <laughs> They're like, Dad, somebody's there. You know, like, well, the nice thing would be to let them in unless they're a stranger. And we lock the door, right? I mean, she gets so excited that Peter, the person that they've been up all night praying for, the people, the person that they thought might be getting executed the next morning is standing at the door. And so she runs back and she tells everybody, you're never going to believe this. Stop praying for me. You're never going to believe this. Stop, stop coming to the throne of God saying, God, please spare Peter's life because Peter is at the door. And they say, hey, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. I'm not making that up. That's exactly what they said. You're out of your mind, they told her. And when she kept insisting, no, 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 Peter's at the door. Rhoda, we've been up all night. You're getting tired. No, 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 Peter, I heard him. He's at the door. Listen, we're praying because he's about to die. He's not at the door. Folks, what were they praying about? You tell me. They were praying for Peter, and Peter shows up at the door, and they're like, no, 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 it can't be him. You're out of your mind. That's crazy talk right there. What in tarnation were they praying about, right? In fact, they said, it can't be him. This is their words. It must be his angel. Because what we pray about can't happen. Can I tell you something? If, if I can be really honest with you, I think this is where most of us are most of the time. This is why I love this verse so much. 
because it's such an accurate description sometimes of how I pray. It's like, God, I know you can, oh, you can do amazing things, immeasurably more than I ask or imagine. And then God shows up and delivers. I'm like, it can't be that. As if God can't do what I'm asking him to do. Why am I going to him at all? But Peter kept knocking. I'm here. And when they finally opened the door, they saw him and they were astonished. What? How did this happen? I mean, I know we were up all night praying, but it's not like my prayers ever were anyway. Can you relate to this? And Peter motioned with his hands to be quiet. Shh, shut up. I could still die. Don't be an idiot. And described how the Lord brought him out of prison. What was his description? I'm just curious. How would he describe that? I don't know. Something struck me on the side. I thought it was a dream the whole time. Everybody was sleeping or still or something, and I just snuck past him. Iron gate just opened up instantly, and then it was like, okay, God delivered me. As if somebody had been praying all night long that that would happen. Band, if you'll come on up. As we close out here, he says, tell James and the other brothers and sisters about this. And then he left for another place. And he continues on in his ministry. See, when God does what only God can do, Sometimes it's astonishing to us too. And here's why I think that they were astonished. And here's why I think they were like, Rhoda, you're out of your mind. It's just his angel. There's no way it could be him at the door. It's because of this. And this is going to be life-changing for some of you if you will have ears to hear it. It is easier to hold on to hurt than hope. But that doesn't mean it's better. It's easier to hold on to the hurt that's happened in your life than the hope, but it does not mean it's better. And you know this is true because you've met some people in your life who held on to hurt so long it turned into bitterness, and that's how everybody describes them. They're just a bitter, miserable person. Man, it's easier to hold on to hurt than hope, but it does not better. So what do we make of this story in Acts chapter 12? We have, we have Peter who, who is at peace. He's sleeping and yet he doesn't understand what's happening. He's, in fact, some of the times he's questioning it, but he's like, you know, I'm just going to walk in obedience until I find God there. And that's, that's what happens. And we have this church who's gathered around earnestly praying all night, but maybe not even believing that God can do the impossible. And then God does the impossible. What do we make of all of this? Here's the thing. If your faith is a little weak, 
if your faith is like struggling a bit, if your faith is like the size of a mustard seed small. And I want you to know this, that God can use the imperfect faith from a hurting people to change the world. I'm going to say it again because I believe it's true. I'm going to speak it over you. God can use the imperfect faith from a hurting people to change the world. God can use the imperfect faith from a hurting person to change a family. God can use an imperfect faith from a hurting person to change a workplace, to change a life, to change a direction. And maybe right now it's like, man, I love to pray for that, but I'm not sure I can really grab a hold of it than just walk in obedience and watch what God can do. Watch what God can do with imperfect faith, even if you're hurting along the way. Folks, would you pray with me? God, we trust you. Help us to trust you more. When the wind and the waves come crashing in, when, when we feel imprisoned by our past or mistakes or hurt or bitterness that try to encage us, God, when we gather around and we pray for things we may not even truly believe could happen, we pray that you meet us in that space. And we trust in you that you will do immeasurably more than what we could ever ask or imagine. So God, help us in our faith. Like the, like the man who had the young boy, God, we, we believe you. Help us in our unbelief. Help our faith to grow today. It's in your name, your holy, your righteous, your worthy name that we pray. And the church says, amen.